Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna. I'm Harry Simu, and this is episode 19. On this week's podcast, we've got plenty to discuss. We'll be talking about the win over Chelsea in the International Champions Cup. Aaron Ramsey, Gwenduzi, Emil Smith-Rowe, Petr Cech, Lucas Torreira and more. Joining me later on in the show are sports informative Chris Davison and Italian football writer Matthew Sant'Angelo. Let's begin in Dublin where we beat Chelsea on penalties in the International Champions Cup. Always nice to beat Chelsea, no matter what the competition, even if it's a competition of which is format I've yet to work out. <laughs> if you do know how the International Champions Cup works, tweet me at Chronicles underscore AFC because I have absolutely no idea and I'm not ashamed to say it. Now, before I give my two pence, if you like, on last night's game, I want to stress the fact that I'm not complaining. I'm not moaning. I promise all I'm doing is highlighting a few issues that I spotted and I'm sure most of you guys spotted, um, you know, in regards to our performance, how we can improve those and the fact that they simply need the dressing before the start of the Premier League season. I guess a sensible place to start will be the Aaron Ramsey injury. He apparently picked up a knock in the warm-up and was subsequently unable to take part in the fixture. Let's talk about it being a calf uh, strain, a little twinge that he felt. I guess it's not worth taking risks in preseason friendly, so I totally get that on Unai Emery's part, and, and I wouldn't have picked him either if, if that was the case. Or here's a little conspiracy theory. Could it be that a club has made a late bid for Aaron Ramsey and uh, we withdrew him from the team? Hmm, that's one to think about. Probably a load of rubbish, but it's a conspiracy theory worth considering nonetheless. Chelsea took the lead inside six minutes through an Antonio Rudiger header. Um, poor defending from Arsenal all round there. The corner came in from our left-hand side, Chelsea's right-hand side. Cesc Fabregas delivered it, came straight into the penalty area. Antonio Rudiger, one of Chelsea's most powerful players, from an aerial perspective, managed to wriggle free and find himself completely unmarked, unchallenged on the penalty spot and was able to head home. Now, you've got to question the defending. We spoke a lot about man marking during the PSG game. It looked as though we'd reverted to man marking. That could still have been the case on that set piece. But in that case, it was Emil Smith-Rowe who had picked up Rudiger initially, completely lost track of his run, um, and gave him the opportunity to score. Now, it's a bit harsh to criticise the youngster because he's been brilliant and we'll come on to Emil Smith-Rowe later on in the show. So I don't want to do that, but it is a lapse in concentration. Um, I would have liked to have, have seen one of our centre-backs say to the youngster, you know what, mate? Rudiger's a beast in the air. I'll take him. Leave it to me, you know? And push him on to someone maybe more his height, maybe more his size and someone he's more capable of coping with Maybe I'm being overly critical, maybe I'm overthinking it, but I just think I'd like to see my centre-halves there be a little bit more organised, be aware of what's going on and take ownership. We often speak about players that have stagnated over the past few seasons in terms of their development and that brings me nicely onto Hector Bellerin and, and his performance last night. Now again, I have to stress that it was just a pre-season friendly, so I don't want to go OTT, but... You know, he came up against a young winger in Hudson Odoi last night who gave him a torrid time, to be frank. The, the winger was capable of going 
at you on the inside, on the outside. He was very tricky, very quick. And it just highlighted the fact for me that Hector Bellerin relies far too much on his pace to get him out of trouble. He needs to develop in terms of his uh, positional sense. I think that's that's massive. I think we've seen slower right backs in the past be better defenders because their positional sense is, is on point. You know, their, their know-how, their position in relation to the centre-backs is correct. You know, they, they know when to go forward, when not to go forward. I think Hector Bellerin has a lot of maturing to do. A lot of growing up to do, I should say. Um, and, and I'm interested to see how he develops under Unai Emery. Will he now get the coaching that he needs? Um, because he came in and everybody was like, yeah, Hector Bellerin is the next best thing. And, and he seemed like he was going to hit the very top. You know, Barcelona was sniffing around him. And all of a sudden, he seems to have regressed a little bit. And, and that's a concern for me. Stefan Lichsteiner, albeit 34 years old, will be breathing down his neck this season. So Hector Bellerin will need to up his game if he can't work as part of Unai Emery's defensive unit. Then there's a good chance that he could find himself sitting on the bench next season. Now, I don't know whether you guys saw the game on Premier Sports. That's where I watched it. Um, but Nigel Winterburn at halftime made a really interesting point regarding the team's uh, attempts to adopt a pressing game. Um, you know, there's still plenty of work to be done. And, and Nigel's point was a valid one. It seemed as though the front players were, were willing to press when Chelsea had the ball at the back. But that doesn't work unless your midfield get involved as well. And it seemed as though they were hesitant to do so at times. The front three would press, Chelsea would pass their way around them, and then the, the midfield would sort of be caught on their heels. So that is something that needs work. It's not going to come overnight. It's something we've not been used to doing. It's something that Unai Emery wants from his team. But it, it, like with anything, it's going to need uh, a period of of embedding. Uh, so... You know, let's see how that goes. But yeah, very valid point. Watch out for it. If you get a chance to watch the game back, you'll see um, at halftime, Nigel uh, pointed that out on the coverage. So interesting that. Um, I want to say a big shout out before I forget, actually, to uh, the boys at same old Arsenal, Craig and Lee. Um, they were in Dublin last night enjoying the game and uh, put up plenty of lovely videos and, and, and great interesting stuff. Um, and glad to hear that people are loving their podcast and stuff. So uh, thank you to those two for letting me work with them last season and, and this season too. And uh, yeah, check them out at Same Old AFC. How can I not mention Petr Cech's penalty save? His second in an Arsenal shirt. We waited a long time, but they're all coming at once now. Um, fantastic save from Morata's penalty. Uh, Morata must be cursing his luck every time he comes up against Arsenal in pre-season he seems to miss from the spot um, so yeah great piece of goalkeeping there from Petr Cech and he's looked sharp to me he's looked a lot better than he did last season he looks fitter um, he looks like he's more agile I don't know if that's down to Unai Emery's training regime or whether he just had a bad season last season who knows but I'll tell you one thing I don't think there are any guarantees that Bernd Leno will be our number one next season, despite the fact that we went out and splashed so much cash on him. I actually think that Petr Cech will start the season in goal. Um, I'd personally start him in the Manchester City game. I think he looks ready. And, you know, at the end of the day, we haven't seen much of Bernd Leno yet. So 
For me, Petr Cech is our number one as it stands. You may disagree. Um, if you do, tweet me at Chronicles underscore AFC. I'd like to hear your reasons why Bernd Leno should start ahead of, of Petr Cech because for me, I don't think he should. One final point from me on the Chelsea game before we go for a quick break. Um, I want to talk about our defence, the back four, um, and the fact that it's noticeably a lot narrower when we don't have possession. Now, that is the way to go. I have no doubt about that. Uh, we've heard Lee Dixon talk about it many times when, when talking about the famous old Arsenal defences. Um, you know, we saw Atletico Madrid come to the Emirates in the Europa League semi-final play a compact back four and it was almost impossible to break down they were unbelievably solid there was a couple of instances yesterday where Chelsea sort of caught us on the break and the back four had basically turned and and facing their own goal running back but they managed to keep that compactness now yes it gives your opponent a lot of space in the wide areas but I think that's definitely the way to go I think what it does do is is it allows you to at least defend the most important parts of the pitch. You know, people can have the ball wide. You're not going to score from the corner flag realistically. Um, but I think we saw some instances where Arsenal were carrying out those instructions, maybe a little bit too literally. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see how that develops. Emery's defensive philosophy to me is clear, but it's just whether we can get the application right, I guess. Right, that brings us to the end of part one. I'm going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll be talking to Chris Davison, getting his thoughts on last night's win over Chelsea. The Chronicles of Aguna 2017-18 is now on sale. The Chronicles of Aguna tells the story of Arsene's final season through a supporter's eyes, attempts to shed light on some of the season's major talking points and features exclusive interviews with Ray Parler, Kevin Campbell, Tom Watt and Robbie Lyle. Available to order now from Amazon, Waterstones and all major bookstores, The Chronicles of Aguna 2017-18. Order your copy now by clicking the link in the description. Welcome back to part two. Now, I'm joined on the line by Chris Davison. Chris, what was your overall assessment of last night's performance? Um, I thought it was good. Um, you know, I think um, obviously the first sort of half an hour, um, it, we were a bit slow to get into the game. I think um, Chelsea were looking quite dangerous going forward. Um, I think his name was Hudson and Doy. Uh, you know, he looked a real threat for Chelsea and he caused us a few problems. But um, as the game progressed, and as Emery said um, after the game, as the sort of game progressed, um, we we we'd done all right, and I think um, it was a fair result in the end. Yeah, I completely agree. It was a fair result, especially given our second half performance, where, like you said, we were much improved. Now, a player who's who's got a lot of attention during this preseason tour, if you like, is is Matteo Guendouzi. What have you made of his performances? Is he ready to fight for a place in the first team? Yeah, I think he is. Um, from what I've seen of him this preseason, he's—I think he's taken everyone by a little bit of a surprise. To be honest, Harry, uh, I mean, seven or eight million we got him for—an absolute steal by the looks of it. Um, and um, great work by the scouting team at the club because um, he looks the real deal. The, you know, he's 19 years of age, but is—he's—he's he's calm. His computer, his composure on the ball, um, pass and range as well. He can pick up a fantastic pass and. Um, 
he's just good at you know just keep, keeping the play going, people th- making things happen. Um, and um, it, yeah, I've been really impressed with him, and I'm hoping um, he can keep that up. And um, certainly, um, you know, it, it's helped. You know, having got a few French players at the club. Um, he's getting on well with Aubameyang and Lacazette who have made him feel welcome and obviously we can see that they're all getting on so that helps of course and that gives him confidence and um, obviously the good performances too um, and he's getting a lot of, rec- a lot of recognition at the moment um, and deservedly so Is it just me or has watching Matteo Guendouzi during this pre-season made you realise just how average Mohamed Elneny is? Yeah, um, and again, he didn't. I don't think he had the best of games last night, El Nani. Um, I think um, El Nani. I mean, um, he can be an important squad player, but um, you know, we have got better midfielders at the club now. You know, Torreira. I think Gunduzi d- deserves to be just ahead of him. Um, obviously, uh, Ramsey and um, Jacka. Jacka's also returned now as well. Um, you, you know, you can have the likes of Mason Niles in central midfield as well, defensive midfield. So, you know, um, Emery, you know, if El Nani wants a chance, you know, he now he's really got to step up because he's got a lot, of, a lot of competition now as well, um, and he's he got got to impress the new manager. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, um, when you know a 19-year-old in Gunduzi who's just arrived is playing playing like that already, it does make you wonder, you know, if if El Nani's actually good enough. Yeah. What about Emil Smith Rowe? Because He's, again, another one who's impressed. Young players just signed a long-term deal at the club. Um, I would probably say he was at fault um, for the first goal, uh, mm. for the Antonio Rudiger goal. He seemed to lose his man. I've already mentioned it earlier on in the show. But am I being a little bit harsh? Would you agree with me that maybe the centre-backs should have had that situation under control as opposed to Roe being responsible? Um, I think... Um you know, looking at it again, I mean, I just don't understand why we had Smith Rowe um, sort of there in that position, to be honest. You should, you'd think um, one of the centre-backs would, would be man-marking um, people like Rudiger and stuff, you know, people like that, who are obviously a big threat in the air. Um, um, in regards to Smith Rowe's pre-season as a whole, I've been really impressed with him. You know, I think, um, again, um, a very exciting youngster who's who's got a lot of potential um, I'm glad the club have realised that. I'm glad Emery's realised that, and obviously we've tied him down into a new long contract. So um, um, definitely one for the future, no doubt. Um, you know, obviously, um, you know, it's, it's not just Smith Rowe, but the, the other youngsters, Nelson, um, and obviously Gunduzi as well, just to name a couple of others. You know, they, they're all got to improve in themselves. You know, that will come with, with development over the, the next few years. Obviously, they're still young. So, but you know, obviously, what we've what we've seen from everyone so far is, is um, you know, they've shown that they've got talent and um, uh, they're getting the recognition that they deserve because they've been very good this pre-season. Yeah, completely agree. I am always careful though to get carried away by pre-season performances. I mean, Jeff Rennie Adelaide, if you remember a few years back, seemed to set the world alight in pre-season, and and now he's had to move away to get some football. So. You know, it's not always to be taken too seriously, I guess. Aaron Ramsey pulled out just before the game, didn't he, with a a calf strain, I believe it was. Um, Is there any latest on that? Is Aaron Ramsey potentially leaving Arsenal Football Club this summer, in your opinion? Because there's still no deal. Still no deal been signed. No. um, You know, and... (laughs) It's, I just hope it doesn't turn out to be one of those, you know, Alexis Sanchez situations um, or the Jack Wilshere situation where there's just uncertainty right down to the wire. Um, you know, so 
you know, I'm looking at I'm on Twitter and the, his agency um, Twitter's page is, is sort of liking um, a variety of tweets that fans are putting out saying, let's just get it done and stuff like this. And, you know, it just makes you more confused where, where exactly is this at? Um, you know, Ramsey said publicly that it's, you know, that his agent and um, the club are constantly um, talking and it, it just seems that it's stuck there for such a long time now, you know, just talks between the clubs and the players' agent, not really getting anywhere. But I'm hoping, you know, I've always been confident in Ramsey staying because obviously, us, like I've previously mentioned on your show, um, he's, he said that he's really excited about this season, working with a new manager. He couldn't wait to get back, um, but, you know, when, when the pre-season started. Um, and he's, you know, he's looked good pre-season and um, looked very, very much up for it. And, um, uh, you know, concentrated on what, what what is ahead so um i mean I'm, i've always been confident of him staying uh, and, I, and i'll remain hopeful um but like i said i just hope it doesn't sort of go down to the wire um and it, it sort of just hangs um and it doesn't progress um you know i, I don't want another wheelchair or electric situation um so i'm, I'm just going to keep my fingers crossed at the moment yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think his representatives have a duty to do right by him. And, and I guess having just seen Mesut Ozil get the deal that he got, they'll be trying as hard as possible to get the deal that's best for their client. And and I've said this before and I'll say it again. I think that's the hold up at the moment. I think eventually the club will bow down to his demands and, and give him what he wants. And, and Aaron Ramsey will remain an Arsenal player. Now, there's a lot of talk about the captaincy, Chris. Um a lot of people's number one candidate would be Aaron Ramsey, providing he signed a new deal. Petr Cech actually believes that Mesut Ozil is the number one candidate to be the Arsenal captain. We put a poll out on that uh, a couple of days ago. We had over 1,150 votes. So thank you to everybody who took part in that. 37% said yes, he should be given the armband, with 63% saying no. I'm of the opinion that giving Mesut Ozil that extra bit of responsibility might be the kick up the arse that he needs, to be honest. Um, and and I'm hopeful that Unai Emery's tactics will better suit Ozil and, and we see the best of him. Would you consider him for the position? And if not, who would you prefer got the band? Um, I think he's definitely got to be considered. And just like you mentioned, Harry, I've, I've thought about it to myself, you know, giving him the armband might actually just give him that bit of confidence, might just give him, give him that kick up the backside and, and you know, get him playing very well. I think, um, you know, I think he had a great game last night um, and um, he was brilliant against PSG as well. Um, you know, I think um, obviously, you know, again, like Emery says, what preseason basically about trying to figure out who's, who's, who's a great leader in the team. Um, I think, still think, you know, people like Ramsey, Socrates, um, uh, people like that, you know, are good names to consider as well because they are, they are, they could be good leaders. Um, but it will be interesting. I'd, I'd like to see Ozil captain aside again, see how he does because, like we just said, I think, you know, with that, with that armband on, he might just feel that, you know, responsibility. I think, you know, even without the armband on, we've seen before, he can get, you know, frustrated. He can, you know, urge the team um, to do better on the pitch at times. Um, so he's just got to sort of, you know, cut, try and keep his cut cool when he when he is captain, and try and just urge the team to keep going. Um, and um, hopefully that will improve his performances as well. So it'll be interesting to see who you know who Emery goes for in the end. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, totally agree. And I've got a little bit of a theory around selecting captains. You know, I think firstly, you should pick your most natural leader um, and the player who's going to best convey the manager's instructions out on the pitch. If that fails and there is no standout candidate, which in our case, I think is is true. I don't think there is a standout candidate that you say, yes, this man has to be our captain and there's no one else in the, in the sort of frame. And then if that, so if that fails, then I think you should look to your best player. And in my opinion, Arsenal's best player, most high profile player is Mesut Ozil. So it mm. kind of, it makes sense to me. Um, anyway, Chris, we've come to the end of this little segment, but we've got an announcement to make. Um, I'd like to let all our listeners know that Chris will be joining the Chronicles of Aguna. He'll be doing a weekly column and he'll be contributing to the podcast as he has been, of course. Um, but Chris will be a regular with myself. So Chris, thank you so much for agreeing to join us and we look forward to the season ahead. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure, Harry. You know, obviously it's been, um, been great to always come on the podcast and, um, you will, you've always, you know, um, respectful towards me and always asked me to contribute. So, um, um, it's a pleasure to, to be aboard and, um, hopefully uh, a successful season. That's right. Big things coming this season, both for us and for Arsenal Football Club. Mm. Chris, thank you very much for joining me and we'll be in touch again soon. Cheers, Harry. Thank you. That's the brilliant Chris Davison, officially part of the furniture now here at Chronicles AFC. I'm going to take another quick break and when we're back, we'll be talking to Italian football writer Matthew Sant'Angelo and getting the lowdown on Lucas Torreira. Enjoying what you've heard so far? If so, make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna. Today, we are talking Lucas Torreira and joining me is Italian football writer Matthew Santangelo. Welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, definitely excited to uh, you know, give everyone some insight on uh, the little uh, diminutive Uruguayan midfielder. Or of course, I'm jealous that you guys got it. I wish my club would have gotten him. But uh, oh yeah, let's, let's talk about him a bit. Good, good stuff. Who is your club out of curiosity? I should have checked this before. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Milan fan. So, you know, things are going right. a little bit better lately than they were maybe a couple of weeks ago. But uh, yeah. we'll, we'll see. Let's, let's see how things happen with this deal that's uh, in the works. That's fine. We can accept that. I thought you were going to say Manchester United or something. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> right, so Lucas Torreira joined the Arsenal back on July the 10th, but due to his World Cup participation, he only joined up with the squad yesterday at London Colney. Now, given he's now been integrated into the squad, this seems like the perfect time to learn a little bit more about the player. Matthew, what can you tell us about Torreira, who arrives from Sampdoria with a huge reputation? Uh, well, first off, again, you're getting uh, great value here at 30 million euro. That's not to mention that's being split over two seasons. Uh, that, that's it's a, financially, it's a slam dunk, and it's definitely an investment worth taking for Arsenal, who really need this type of profile in the midfield, and they've really needed for quite some time. So it's definitely a, a great addition for um, Unai Emery to work with. Uh, but what, what, they're, what, they're, what they're pretty much getting is you're getting a guy who, uh, you know, defensive midfielder. I'm not going to say he's a regista. I've had people, you know, kind of say throw that term around loosely. I think that's kind of a very um, not outdated, but I think there's very um, it limits to what the type of player Lucas Torreira is, and that he's he's very good defensively. Um, you know, great great at disrupting play. You know, he goes into the tackles. He's fearless despite being a very small player. He has the passing range. He's going to be able to dictate the midfield and control, you know, the tempo and everything like that they look for in this role. So 
you know, I, again, I've, I've heard, you know, several different, you know, combinations of profiles of what, what, what Torreira is. I've heard he has a Uruguayan Verratti with a little bit of uh, Nogolo Conte, a little bit of uh, Santi Cazorla. It's, they're kind of throwing all these different names in a pot and, and kind of putting them as, as Lucas Torreira. But in short, you know, a guy that's, you know, he can sit at the base. He's, you know, fearless despite being a small guy he's very smart he makes the quick passes he's very decisive and he's a guy that's really going to be able to retain the ball quite well for you which again is very huge considering you know you want to limit the uh you know the, the counter-attacking opportunities that you give the opponents he's a guy that i think is going to complement quite well with ramsey and shaka whoever uh, of course you know unai Emery goes uh, around him but i think more or less you could probably agree that that's probably going to be uh two of the names that he's going to be playing alongside in the midfield um, barring any you know crazy additions that they make for the rest of the summer so the Arsenal getting a great player here for sure, and a guy that I've been uh, you know, fond of for be- the better part of two years because you know, Sampdoria has been bringing along a lot of the younger players, which seems like each and every year. And Torreira is definitely the one that I was uh, most excited about, and I was hoping that he would stay somewhere in Italy again. And I was hoping maybe Milan, but uh, the fact that he's going to you know a, a, the Premier League at such a young age on such a big move after a great World Cup, it's it's a great opportunity for him for sure. Yeah, and we look forward to seeing him in action, of course. Um, We've spoken a lot about his strengths there. Is there any aspect of his game in particular that you feel needs improvement? Not really. I, I think he's a guy. Look, you know, you, you know, no one's going to be really expecting him to be a, a to score goals from this position. I know, you know, certain advancements with certain roles. You know, maybe there they people look for certain players to be a little bit more on the on you know offensively impactful. I think a guy like Torreira. Look, he's he's coming in to play a specific role. He's coming in here really to help. Yes, the midfield, but also helps you know some of those guys like Shaka. Um, who really didn't have maybe his best start at Arsenal, they really want to get that true value out of him. And I think that's what's awesomely also going to help is free up him a little bit, free up Aaron Ramsey to do what they do best while also kind of, you know, covering in that midfield and just kind of, you know, dictating everything. I think that's really what his, his, his role is going to be in terms of weaknesses. I don't really see anything again, you know, there's have been concerns about his size and how that will kind of, you know, play out in England. And I think rightfully so, people can have that concern just based off the track record, based off the style, based off the, um, you know, the overall uh, you know, quality of the Premier League. But I don't see that being a really much of a concern. I think the biggest thing, you know, from the jump will be, you know, making that transition. Any for any type of player, let alone a young player. Um, it always takes time to adapt. How many times have we seen you know veteran players who are stars in you know different leagues come over to England or go over to Serie A or La Liga? It just takes time to adapt. Some people adapt, take you know they kick on right away. Some people need it midway through the season. Maybe there's a tactical change, maybe there's a coaching change, and then they finally kind of get into the rhythm. So I think that's really the biggest thing. I think Arsenal fans just need to be patient, just let his talent shine through because it it, it definitely will. Brilliant. Fantastic. You're, you're, you get, you're making me more and more excited about this. <laughs> I'm doing a good job uh, of selling him. I'm not, you know, I'm not you his are, agent, you are. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're getting some sort of commission for this. Um, am I right in saying that Sampdoria and Arsenal had an agreement in place prior to the World Cup? Yeah, I think that absolutely. I think it was the, the, the terms, the figures, everything seemed to be defined with maybe a week or two before the World Cup. Um, you know, he had, he had a 25 million euro release clause, which, you know, I'm surprised that more clubs weren't going after him. But then at the beginning of the year, um, beginning early, beginning of this year, or um, late last year, 
there was a lot of interest around the, you know, Atletico Madrid. And there was a little bit of a rumor about Barcelona being interested and willing to pay, you know, sizable amounts for him above his, his release clause for the price, which I thought that would have kind of, you know, signaled a Sampdoria owner, a Massimo Ferrero to kind of say, okay, 50 million for a guy like this, like we're going to sell to them. He stood pat. They held on to them the rest of the year. He played a great role for them uh, down the stretch, despite them not qualifying for the Europa League. And they were able to sell him uh, uh, for five more than what his release clause were uh, was. But what Arsenal again? They're getting to get split over two installments versus having to pay twenty five million up front. Which again, obviously, everyone knows the financial impact of that. So um, I think the terms and everything was agreed upon before the World Cup. But there's so much moving around. You know, players preparing for the World Cup and just trying to get you know acclimated and things like that. I think that's the reason why there was a holdup and there was kind of a delay because I think, you know, we saw with some of these other players that, you know, even guys like Cristiano Ronaldo, who uh, moved to Juventus, um, he was on vacation and he really just started training today in the week. The deal has been done for two weeks now. So just kind of put in a little bit of perspective, I think all the, the terms and everything was ironed out. It was pretty much just waiting for his signature and the final thumbs up and that was it. Lovely. Great stuff. Matthew, thanks very much for joining me. Do you want to tell our listeners how they can follow you on social media and keep up to date with what you're doing? Absolutely. So you guys can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. That's where um, all my insight is, all my articles, all my content, um, everything like that. And anything I'm working on, I got a couple things in the pipeline, uh, a new podcast project with global football, not just stereo. I'm doing, we're doing the Premier League, we're doing La Liga, we're doing MLS, Liga only. So we're going to be covering um, all walks of football. So definitely just give me a follow there if you're looking to see more of what I'm doing. And uh, I appreciate the support great stuff and and i look forward to catching up with you again in the very near future thank you so much for having me on look forward to it that was italian football writer matthew Sant'Angelo providing us with some insight into lucas Torreira. now both of those interviews with chris and with matthew they're both available on our youtube channel it's the chronicles of aguna type it in search them up uh, hit subscribe, like, whatever you got to do. Um, but you can listen to those two interviews separately. Um, the Matthew one was pre-recorded and, and that's why I said that Torreira joined us yesterday. So not exactly accurate when this podcast goes out, but that is the reason. Um, just a couple more bits to add before we wrap up this week's show. I want to point you all in the direction of the Gooners in the USA podcast. You can follow them on Twitter at Gooners in USA. They're doing some excellent work fundraising in order to aid the fight against cancer. They've set up a webpage, GoonersVersusCancer.com, and it goes directly to a fundraising page where you can help. It's a cause very close to their hearts, very close to mine as well. I lost a relative to cancer just under a month ago. So it's really important. Let's get behind them. Let's support them. Uh, Gooners versus cancer.com. Check it out. As most of you will have seen, we put out a video just a couple of days ago on social media. Um, it's pinned to the top of our Twitter page at Chronicles underscore AFC, announcing the fact that we have set up a Patreon page over at patreon.com. Uh, all you need to do is search the Chronicles of Aguna, or you can find the link on that post, in fact. Um, the reason for this is we are bringing a producer on board. Yay! Um, we're also going to be renting a studio to produce our shows as professionally as possible. We'll be bringing on regular guests. We'll be bringing you more content, bonus content, you name it. We'll be doing it this current season. 
And so we're looking just to subsidize some of those costs. Of course, the Chronicles of Aguna will always be a free podcast. That's never going to change. You have my word on that. So how do you become a patron? What does it involve? So by becoming a patron, you sign up on our patron.com page. You are debited $5 a month, which is about £3.70 in sterling for our listeners here in the UK. Um, And with that, you will get early access to the interviews and our bonus content. You'll also get priority when asking questions. And once you've been with us for three months, you'll get a free gift. We have three lovely things you can choose from, um, which I'll be announcing in the coming days. So uh, thank you for all your continued support. Whether you're a patron or not, it doesn't matter. We appreciate every single listener and, and all your support. And without you guys, this show would be nothing. So thank you once again. That brings us to the end of episode 19. Thank you once again for listening. We'll be back on Monday night live on YouTube with Craig and Lee from the same old Arsenal podcast. We'll be reviewing the friendly against Lazio and looking ahead to the start of the Premier League season. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a review and I'll catch you guys next week. Cheers.